Amen. Thank you very much, worship team, for leading us this morning. And thank you, Haven Baptist, for allowing me the opportunity to return and share from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Timothy. We're going to be in the letter of 2 Timothy today. As you're turning there, I just, again, I want to thank you for this opportunity to return. And I've enjoyed, I've been blessed by a friendship with your pastor, uh, Pastor Andrew. I'm thankful to hear from time to time how the Lord is working here at Haven. And uh, excited to be here today as we dive in, as we understand what the Lord uh, has for us from His Word in 2 Timothy 3. We'll be in 2 Timothy 3. And as you're turning there... um, just a couple of pieces of information that will help us as we read today. When Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he was an old man. An old man. He had endured a lot of persecution. He had endured a lot of abandonment and affliction because of the message that he was preaching, the message of Jesus Christ. And In fact, we're, we're pretty sure that when Paul wrote the second letter to Timothy, he was near the end of his life and he was imprisoned in Rome for preaching the gospel. When you read this letter, not only do you see that Paul is suffering, but it becomes pretty apparent that Timothy, the recipient of the letter, is also suffering quite a bit as he is pastoring in the important area of Ephesus. So Timothy is Uh, someone who was discipled and raised up by Paul. He is leading the church in Ephesus as a young pastor. And Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him to endure and remain faithful even in the midst of his suffering. As I was studying and preparing for this message, I'm reminded of a season of ministry that I went through in the past that was marked by intense uh, difficulty and suffering. Uh, as Mike mentioned earlier, we were I'm at Point Mallard Baptist Church as a family pastor, and so one of my primary responsibilities is student ministry, uh, but I also work with our children's ministry and uh, kind of wear a lot of different hats. And uh, we, uh, in a certain season in the past, we were facing a crisis in our church. And the pastors were trying to sort through everything and trying to be faithful to lead our church through this crisis and to try to handle the situation biblically. And as we started leading our church through prayer and study of the Word and just desperation before God, we felt the Lord was leading us to lead the congregation in a certain direction. Uh, And as we started leading our church in that way, uh, a particular faction in our church began to be opposed to what we felt like the Lord wanted us to do. And uh, there was one man in particular, uh, this man is no longer at our church, but this man at the time was a deacon and he called me on the phone uh, and he uh, wanted to express his displeasure with the pastor's decisions. And uh, As I talked with him, I tried to articulate to him a biblical view, a biblical argument for why we felt like we needed to go in a certain direction. And uh, and I'll never forget what he said. He told me, he said, we can't do it the biblical way. He says, if we do it the biblical way, 
a lot of people will leave our church and we won't have any money left to pay anyone. He said, we need to do it the practical way so that we can do things the biblical way later. I admit, I am, as a man, as a pastor, I am nowhere near a perfect man. I am capable of mistakes and misjudgments. But after this call, I was astonished. I was astonished that this man, he was a deacon and a leader in our church. But when he was faced with what God's Word had to say about our situation, he chose to argue for the easier route that would keep people from leaving the church. And I, and I remember as a pastor, that season was so discouraging, having to uh, have difficult conversations like that. By God's grace, although imperfectly, I believe that our church ultimately did the right thing in the eyes of the Lord. We were faithful to Him, and by God's grace, our church is healthy and growing spiritually in the right direction, and Yes, we're blessed both spiritually and financially. At the end of the day, I knew and our pastors knew that we had to stand before much more important than just a meeting. And so he is the one to whom we will give an account. And I want to encourage us all, friends, as we live in a world that's broken by sin and destroyed by sin many times we face opposition and persecution and suffering for believing and living out what we know to be true about the gospel of jesus christ the gospel the faithfulness to god is not always the most popular thing to do true faith in jesus will cost us something it will cost us something it costs timothy It cost Paul his freedom and ultimately his life. But praise God, even up until Paul's last days on the earth, we see through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have instruction from him in 2 Timothy about how to be faithful and how to endure even amidst the most difficult pain and suffering and opposition. So let's read our text together today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 10. God's word says, you, however, Timothy, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love and my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And he says, he continues, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 
that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As we study this text, I try to always give you one main idea, one single sentence that can summarize what it is the Lord is saying to us. And and so the main idea for our passage today is even in the face of suffering, remain faithful in the work of the Lord. Let me say that again. Even in the face of suffering, remain faithful in the work of the Lord. Paul was a spiritual father to Timothy. And Paul was writing to Timothy. We saw in chapter 1 of this letter, he says to Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God. The flame that was seemingly in danger of going out. Now, why was this? Why was Paul encouraging Timothy Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God? Well, we see in chapter 2, of the letter that Timothy was experiencing opposition in the church from people who were participating in what he called irreverent babble. Foolish, ignorant controversies and quarrels. People were debating and arguing against the truth of God's word and against God's gospel. They were using their words to promote godless thinking and ungodly living. Some things never change, do they? No doubt, Timothy was discouraged as a younger pastor, facing all of these difficulties. And Paul, as his mentor, he knew all too well what that discouragement feels like. Paul told Timothy earlier in this letter, in chapter 1, that all who are in Asia have turned away from me. Now, we're not certain of the details, but clearly Paul knows what opposition and rejection tastes like. Paul is experiencing rejection and loneliness and opposition. And knowing how discouraged Timothy must feel, having been in Timothy's shoes, having been a young uh, minister for the Lord, he encourages Timothy to follow his example. And that's our first point today, is that we, we should follow. Paul's example. Follow his example. He said, You have my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, and yes, my persecutions and suffering. Timothy can look to Paul as someone who has been down this road before. Timothy can clearly see Paul's character and his track record of faithfulness. You can read of Paul's suffering. You can study in letters like Philippians and 2 Corinthians. You can see that Paul was someone who took his lashes for the kingdom of God. And we today, we study Paul's letters. We hold Paul in such a high regard, and rightly so. He is the great apostle. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. He is the greatest missionary, probably, who ever lived. But we often forget how despised Paul was in the world. When he preached the gospel, Paul experienced intense opposition and persecution. And the, the Paul, Paul's giant faith that we so admire, it was refined in the fiery furnace of persecution and affliction. 
And so Paul, when he encourages Timothy, he knows what it feels like. And he says that in all of the instances of his suffering, you see it there uh, in verse, uh, let's see, in verse, um, verse 11, he says, I endure the persecution, and he says, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. The damage that the false teachers are doing in Ephesus is great. All this irreverent conversations, all this babble that Paul calls it. The damage that they're doing in Ephesus is great. Paul says earlier in the letter, he says that this false teaching is leading people to ungodly living. Don't miss that connection. Bad thinking and ungodly thinking will produce bad living and ungodly living. You can see that in our culture, you can see that in the church to our shame. Bad doctrine leads to bad living. Right before Timothy's eyes in Ephesus, as he's trying to pastor faithfully, he's trying to preach the gospel, he is seeing this unsound doctrine do all kinds of damage to the church. Earlier in the letter, Paul, he compares this false teaching to gangrene. It spreads and it infects the body. And boy, can we relate to this in our day and age. Everywhere we turn, the truths of the gospel have been traded for the lies of the world, right? Our children and our grandchildren, we fear and we worry about them because they are susceptible to these lies, not only in the media, but sometimes even in our schools. The workplace, you all can attest to this, the workplace is being transformed before our very eyes to accommodate a culture that is anti-God and anti-gospel. Institutions like the family and the community are breaking down. Our world is broken. And there are many people in the media who prey on this polarization in our culture. And they try to keep us divided. And they try to keep us afraid. And they try to keep us outraged. We are just like Ephesus. So what do we do when our backs are against the wall? What do we do when we see this gangrene and the sickness of unrighteous, ungodly thinking of the world spread and do such damage to our culture and to our lives and even in the church? What do we do? Well, what does Paul encourage Timothy to do? Throughout this letter, all throughout the first couple of chapters, Paul encourages Timothy to do two things. Number one, he says, don't be afraid. Number two, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid and don't be ashamed. Number one, don't be afraid. Friends, we have nothing to fear in this world. We have nothing to fear. Paul reminds us in chapter one that God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He reminds us that Jesus abolished death. And gave us life. Amen. The absolute worst thing that could happen to any of us. Death itself has been totally abolished and totally eradicated for those who are in Christ Jesus. Death has no claim on those who are in Christ. And just like Tim Keller says, if Jesus Christ really rose from the dead, then everything is going to be alright. We have nothing to fear. And because we have nothing to fear, we have nothing to be ashamed of. 
The gospel message is glorious good news. The gospel wasn't Paul's idea. It wasn't Timothy's idea or yours or mine. The gospel is God's story. The gospel belongs to God. And even when people oppose it, when our culture opposes it, we can proclaim it with confidence and joy because God is faithful. We don't have to be ashamed and we don't have to be afraid. And I have to imagine that, that as Timothy is reading these words from Paul, he's being filled with peace and joy and boldness. Just picture Timothy downcast and discouraged about what's going on in the church and what's going on in the culture. And he's reading these words from his mentor, his father, his leader. And he's being filled with encouragement. Like a deflated balloon being filled up with air again. His mentor, who has endured so much for the sake of the gospel, who is in prison and suffering, even more profoundly than Timothy is suffering. From prison, he is speaking life into him and giving him what he needs to endure through a difficult season of ministry. Timothy's being encouraged by Paul. And friends, we are promised by Paul that just like Timothy, that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We will all experience persecution for our faith. We must press on. We must continue. Which leads us to our next point. So number one, we follow Paul's example. Number two, continue in the gospel. Continue in the gospel. Paul reminds Timothy just what has been given to him in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He uses this word in the letter over and over again, this word entrusted. Entrusted. Timothy has been given the gospel of Jesus Christ as a stewardship. Something to guard and protect and something to pass down to others. He has been entrusted with a wonderful gift. Paul says to Timothy, he says, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So what is Paul referring to when he says, Continue in what you've learned and what you fully believed? I believe it can best be summed up as the gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, we, we've said already, gospel means Good news, right? Gospel literally means good news. So what is the good news of Jesus Christ? What is the good news of Jesus Christ that's been entrusted to Timothy and to Paul and to all of us? Well, in my church, we're trying to teach students, teenagers, we're trying to teach them a simple way to remember the gospel. And here it is. God's grace and redemption for sinners through the life Death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The good news of Christ is God's grace and redemption for sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not a prescription for us for something to do. The gospel is not a prescription for something to do. The gospel is an announcement about what has already been done for us based on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It is an announcement of victory. 
And throughout his letter to Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy of the gospel. And he describes it with such clarity and conviction. So listen to some of these words and these phrases that Paul uses. He said, he says, God has saved us. He has called us. He said the gospel is not based on our works, but it's based on the purposes of God. It's a gospel of grace and mercy. He says Christ appeared to abolish death and institute immortality and life. It is a gospel that must be accessed by faith. It is a gospel entrusted by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a gospel that shows us that Christ is David's offspring. That Christ is the true and better David who is the promised one of God. It is a gospel that displays the faithfulness of God. Friends, brothers and sisters, this is good news. And notice what Paul says about Timothy's faith in our text. He says, continue in what you have learned and look at verse 15. And he says, verse 15, he says, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And I love this small picture that Paul paints here in verse 15. I love this because we see, we know from chapter 1 that Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice were Christians. They were believers who taught Timothy the scriptures and discipled him. And this is monumental because it shows us that our day-to-day faithfulness matters. Teaching your children and your grandchildren the Word of God matters. Amen. When you get tired of serving in the nursery, remember that your telling of the gospel to the next generation matters. When you get discouraged in your parenting or your family dynamics, remember that your discipleship of the next generation matters. Without the faithfulness of Lois and Eunice, which by the way, those are two names that we don't see in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith. These are not major players in God's word, but they are named in scripture and they matter. Lois and Eunice, without the faithfulness of Lois and Eunice, we might not have Timothy. One of the most significant figures in the New Testament. One of the greatest leaders in the early church. Without Lois and Eunice, we might not have Timothy. So one of the great joys I have in student ministry is getting to see students take hold of the gospel and take hold of their faith and begin to be used by God as they transition into a out of adolescence. Uh, one of the young men who was raised up in our youth group is now serving as an intern in our church and he's in Bible college and he's preparing for ministry. Another young man spent most of his summer, uh, this summer, in a Middle Eastern country interning with missionaries where it's illegal to tell people about Jesus. Another girl that grew up in our student ministry spent her summer in the country of Mexico uh, serving a missionary and his family, helping take care of the kids and helping to do the ministry of the word there in Mexico. Another pair of sisters spent their summer on a beach project doing evangelism. It does my heart so well to see what happens when you pour the gospel into the next generation and when you see what God does in raising them up to go out and be used by Him. 
another example. A couple of years now, when it came to our, when I would say who are leaders in the student ministry, who are our mature, most uh, mature and faithful students, it was mostly, if not completely, all female. And so I began praying last year that the Lord would raise up young men in our student ministry to be leaders because I believe that when a young man is on fire for the Lord, when a young man is completely sold out to the gospel, it changes not only his life but the life of everyone around him. After a season of prayer, I began sharing that prayer request with others in our church. And after a season of prayer, this month we're going to be back four young men. And these young men are excited about knowing the Lord and growing. God answers prayers. There's nothing more humble, nothing more joyful than to be desperate for something and to pray and ask the Lord to do something and then to see Him answer your prayers beyond what you could possibly imagine. We must invest the gospel in the next generation. So I want to challenge you, church, are you praying for God to do amazing things in the life of your congregation? If you see a need, if you see a gap, if you see a void, are you coming desperately before God and asking Him to meet that need? What do you want to see God do in the life of Haven Baptist Church? This letter is full of picture of passing the gospel down from one generation to the next to the next. So presumably Paul or early church leaders took the gospel to Ephesus. They preached the gospel and Lois and Eunice believed the gospel and they entrust that gospel to Timothy. And then Timothy raises and Paul raises up Timothy as a young pastor and a young leader. And he encourages Timothy to entrust the gospel to faithful men who will teach others. You see this just this beautiful chain of people entrusting the gospel to one another, generation after generation. Paul to Lois and Timothy, to Timothy, to faithful men who would go and make disciples. The, the, the picture here is that God is calling us to make disciples who make disciples. And this is the beauty of the gospel. When the word of God comes to us, we must ask the question, will the word of God, will it stop with us Or will it spread through us? Will the word stop with us? Or will the word spread through us? And that brings us to our third final point. So number one, we follow Paul's example. Number two, I forgot what it was. Complete brain fog here. Number two, we continue in the gospel. Number three, we do the ministry of the Word. We do the ministry of the Word. We follow Paul as he pours into Timothy. And I wish that we had more time to dive into these verses, but 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 are life verses for me. They're life verses for us all, whether we realize it or not. Because uh, verses 16 and 17, they give us a clear understanding of how the Word of God, how the Scriptures are inspired by God, how they're sufficient for all that we need to follow Christ. And they're sufficient for us to do the work that God has called us to do. We don't lean on man's ideas. We lean on the Word of God. He's called us to do His work. 
the ministry of the Word. So what is that work? Well, I believe that it is simply, if you look at verses 16 and 17, it's this work of teaching the Word, correcting things when you see their contrary and training. It's teaching, correcting, and training. And I want to remind you that this is not just a, a passage for pastors. This is a passage for all of us. God has called every single one of us in one way or another to do the ministry of the word. I think about Ephesians 4, right? Paul says that we should speak the truth and love to one another so that we can what? So that we can grow up into the head, that is Christ, into spiritual maturity. So we all have skin in the game in this. It's all of our responsibilities to disciple one another and to teach one another, whether that's up front like this or if it's just a conversation on the phone or at a coffee shop. Our words are to be filled and seasoned with God's Word. That's our job, to encourage one another in the Word of God and to take God's Word into these neighborhoods and to the nations so that those who are far from God could be brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is our job. And we are totally dependent on the Word of God for this work. It's our only source of wisdom. It is our lifeblood. We cannot live without it. These are the very words of God. It is not just our pastor's and our deacon's job to do this. And so it's our job to follow their leadership, working together as one body to do this work that he's called us to do. So with God's word in our hand, we are equipped for every good work, Paul says. And I want to ask you, do you, friend, brother, sister in Christ, do you love the word of God? Amen. Do you depend on the word of God? Do you understand the calling on your life to participate in the ministry of the word? If you don't, I'll ask you to, to re, recommit and renew your love for God's Word. To recommit and to love anew your participation in this body. Because this is where all the action is. This is the place where God is doing, He's pushing back against the darkness in the local church. And so in conclusion, you're... If you're here today and you would say that as we've spoken about this gospel, that we've talked about this goodness of Jesus Christ, and you would say, I've never tasted of that for myself. Would you please come to Jesus today? Amen. Come before the Lord in prayer and honesty and admit that your life is broken and that you're a great sinner in need of an even greater Savior. Admit your sin before the Lord and know that you have hope not because of yourself, but because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, you don't have to be chained and bound to your sin anymore. You can experience freedom because of the gospel. Jesus came and he died and he rose again to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin. You have hope. You can really change. You can experience the miracle of a new birth in Christ. Call on his name today. If Christ is calling you to Himself, don't leave this building without speaking with me or with Mike or someone you trust, someone that you love. We would love to help you and show you how to become a child of God. Amen. For those of us who are Christians, 
members and faithful attenders of Haven, I just want to ask you, when our work is done here on this earth, what will mark your life's work? Will you be found faithful? Just like Pastor Andrew preached last week. Yeah, I did a little research. I listened to the sermon last week. Will you be found faithful to do what is right? Even when it's costly to do what's right? Even when it's hard and it's difficult to do what's right? What will mark your work? What will mark the work of Haven Baptist Church? Will you be faithful to be entrusted with the ministry of the word, entrusted with the gospel? Will you stand alongside your pastor and other leaders to participate in the fruitful ministry of God's Friends, we have been shown far too much grace and far too much mercy from our Lord to let the word of God stop with us. Let us stand firm and be faithful and let God's word spread through us to the next generation, to the kids who aren't here yet, but by God's grace who will be here who will hear his gospel, who will hear his good news, to the, to the lost neighbors around this church and to the nations where it's illegal to even speak the name of Jesus. God will do his work. Will we join with him to do that? Today is a good day to recommit yourself to the good work of the ministry of the word. Pastor Andrew would love to receive that email from you. And he didn't pay me to say it. He would love to receive an email from you saying, Pastor, I want to get more engaged. I want to get more involved. How can I help you? How can we reach this dying, lost, broken world? How can we lock arms together and do that? I love you. I'm thankful for the time we've had together today, and I want to encourage you to be faithful. Let's pray. Father, your church is beautiful your people are beautiful god we're broken we're sinners we're imperfect but you make us beautiful by the gospel of jesus christ you have you've called us who were unworthy who were the rejected of the world you've called us to do amazing things in your kingdom and in your life Lord, I pray that you would spark a love, a genuine love for your word and for the ministry of the word here at Haven Baptist Church. That you would bring revival to their hearts and their lives. I pray that you would reinvigorate Pastor Andrew and the deacons and the leaders in our church, in the church here. God, that you would that you would bring revival through the preaching of your word and the discipling of people not through any flashy programs or through any gimmicks god but through the power of the holy spirit god we are desperate we need you we love you and we pray and ask all this in the powerful name of jesus amen